last four verses of Philippians chapter 4. This is the conclusion of the letter to the church of Philippi, and Paul says this, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So in this conclusion, we, we have three distinct thoughts. And originally, I was of a mind to try to tie them all together. But what this ended up being was a mini-series within a series. And so within this series in the book of Philippians, now we're going to deal with this mini-series that's titled with these three words, glory, greetings, and grace. And starting tonight, the Lord willing, over the next three Wednesday nights, we're going to deal uh, with those three ideas, glory, greetings, and grace. This thought tonight, the title for tonight is this, glory unto him, glory unto him. It's a lofty thought, but one that ought to have very practical implication in our lives. And so let's pray, and then you may be seated. Father, sure I am grateful that you love us. And tonight as we assemble together, we are thankful to be able to do that partially and uh, looking forward to being able to do that wholly. And uh, so God, as we assemble through technology and uh, partially in person, would you please speak to us and would you please help us? God, we pray for the the work of your spirit to be present through the preaching of your word and that in each of us you would find an attentive and a responsive heart. God, I don't just pray that you would eliminate distractions. I pray that you would help us to not be distracted tonight and that we would give our attention to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. As I mentioned, Paul is wrapping up his letter to this church at Philippi. And he's closing a letter to people, to believers that he loves very much. Now, if you've ever done any public speaking or you've written letters or notes or back in your school days when you were terrified of that speech you had to give in class to get a good grade on some subject, you know that it's important, you were taught this, that it's important that your conclusion be on point and that it provide a a compelling summary of of what you want the audience to go home with. In your conclusion, it's the, it's the last few statements that people are going to hear. And, and just as a result of human nature, more than likely, the last things that you say potentially could be the things that are, are the most prominent in the minds of those that are hearing or those that are reading. And so you want to sum things up. You want to leave them with some very thought-provoking and thoughtful and encouraging statements And so as Paul concludes this letter, he's reminding the believers in Philippi of of three very important things that the text refers, refers to, glory, greetings, and grace. Now, we're going to look at these, as I mentioned, individually. When we talk about this idea of unto God, if you look at verse number 20 again, now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever Amen. That is a really big statement. 
In fact, if we're honest, no matter how much you study the implications of that statement, it's impossible from our ability and our perspective to grasp how big of a statement that is, and yet we can't understand it. But there's a danger, and that is when we read a statement like this, now unto God be glory forever and ever, amen, we, we think the implications would have to do with something far off that's going to be an eternity, and it's really something we can be aware of, but we don't have to worry about it. But this kind of truth, while it does have eternal implication, it also has practical implication in how we ought to be living our lives. And here's why. You would agree with this. And that is this. As a child of God, God should not only receive glory when we are all together in heaven for eternity. God should be receiving glory from your life in the here and now. God's worth of receiving glory is not limited to a time that we have not yet arrived at in eternity, but he should be receiving glory from each of our lives on a consistent basis. And so we're going to break this this verse down into three parts. The first one is this, he is God. And when we talk about God, we're talking about the eternal one who rules over all. He fills the void that is eternity. There are different scriptural references to his vastness and to his power. Statements like this, that he holds the water in the palm of his hand, that he names and knows every star, that he's able to number and he has every grain of sand, that he sees every sparrow that falls to the ground, that literally throughout the cosmos, throughout the daily unfolding of human life and of activity in creation, That nothing escapes the awareness of God or, and this is amazing, or his concern. It's not as though he's some kind of indifferent force that isn't concerned about. He is aware of those things. Not just aware of them because he knows all, but he is concerned about them because he is a compassionate creator as well. Uh, This morning, Miss June uh, noticed that one of the gutters on the corner of the building was not flowing properly, and we just had some gutter work done, and it shouldn't be um, overflowing. It should be flowing properly, and so uh, someone brought a ladder by, and then I climbed up that ladder, and uh, up in the top, I found a bird's nest and just pulled it out, and the water started flowing. You you think, oh man, just another annoying bird, and I'm not saying that that's wrong, but God is aware of those birds. That's how great and how big his capacity to be aware of things is. And so he has all this power. He spoke the world into existence. The design and stability of creation. The design and the stability of creation exist by his power. Hell itself quakes before him. There is no darkness so black that anything can be hidden from him. Every king will one day bow before him. Every army will one day fall before him. And every tongue one day will confess him. He is God. He is the eternal, the self-existent, the self-sufficient, the almighty, the infinite God. He rules over all. When it says in verse number 20, now unto God, we are talking about this God that is far more vast and far greater than our ability to comprehend. He is God. 
But I'm thankful, and I've already made reference to this, that he's more than just God. Notice what the text says. Now unto God and. So there's another layer to this infinite, all-powerful being. So many people in mythology have this idea that God is something that really can't be known. And, and we're not saying that we can know all about him, but we can know him. That, that God or a God or a higher power is this thing out there that you have to be afraid of, that you have to be terrified of, and that if you're going to appease him, then it must be done at great cost to yourself. And there must, there must be great affliction imposed upon you, and people fall into things like human sacrifice and living in great anxiety and fear. And I just want to remind you that while he is the infin, infinite God, the text also says this, now unto God and our Father. Another word for Father, and I don't mean to make this casual, but you, you have to understand that the text help gives us, opens the door to this kind of access. We don't impose this access upon God. God gives us this access to himself. I think about being able to call my father, dad. I think about what it's like for my children to say to me, daddy. I think about what it's like when, it, I mean, I'm getting ready to leave to the office to come to the church tonight, and my children are getting ready to eat dinner before they come, and, and they're going to see me in a few minutes, and every one of them wants to hug me. And they use this term, dad or daddy, I love you. Daddy, bye. Daddy, I can't wait to see you. We're talking about 30 minutes, and we're going to be together again. And yet they have this access to me where they can say daddy. And literally, that is the idea there, that this infinite one that is so much greater than us allows us to call him father. He is more than just our God. But through faith in Jesus Christ, he is our Father. Now, please do not misunderstand this. You hear erroneous statements like this, and the people of God need to be aware of this. It's a threat to yourself, and it's a threat to others. And that is this. Just because he is God over all doesn't mean he is a Father to all. Now, I hear people make this mistake. They, they make this claim. We're all God's children. No. We're all God's creation. But there is a very specific designation. There's a very specific way for people to be God's children. And it's not by coming to church. It's not by good outweighing your bad. It's not by being an American. It's not any of these external things. It is only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that you are a child of God. You do not earn it. You can only receive it. You do not buy it or purchase it by your own effort. It is through faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Now, a minute ago, I referenced how that many have lived in fear and anxiety over this idea of God because they feel as though God will be angry with them. Well, God is angry with sin. He is angry with sinners. But that anger was dealt onto Jesus Christ so that we would be spared it and instead given grace. And it's through faith in the Son of God that we are made joint heirs with him, that we are made children of God. Now God, the title God speaks to his might, his lofty position. But the title Father speaks to something else. I've already mentioned it. But it speaks to his love. It speaks to his care. It speaks to 
It speaks to his joy over his children. It speaks to his pain when his children rebel against him. It speaks to his desire for. You know, in the Bible, it talks about, I know the thoughts that I have toward you. Thoughts of peace. To give you an expected end. I understand I didn't quote all of it. And people can misuse that verse. But I do believe this, that God does have designs. We might say it like this today. I have dreams for my children. And God has designs and intentions for his children that he would desire to see in their life. It speaks to his correction. You know, the Bible's pretty clear that if a mom or a dad loves their child, they're not going to let them get away with certain things. (laughs) If you love them, you will hold them accountable. You will correct them. And as a loving father, he corrects us. He comforts us. It speaks to his help. It speaks to the fact that he knows when you're hurting, how you're hurting, why you're hurting. He knows your disappointments. He knows your anger. He knows your fear and anxiety. He sees your frustration and your sorrow. And he does not despise you when you are broken. He does not, dis- mm. he does not despise you when you are wrong and stubborn. He does not despise you when you are disappointed with life. As much as you can love someone that matters to you, is dear to you, as much as you can love your own child or someone like your own child, his love is so much greater. He is the perfect father. He's not just the God. He is our father. Notice the text, now unto God. And then it uses the personal pronoun, our father. (laughs) I love this. I possess him. He's mine. I have this relationship with him. You could line up the different dads up on the platform and different children would look at them and say, that's my dad. That's my daddy. That's my pop. That's my father. We can look at the eternal God and he is my father through faith in Jesus Christ. Because he is the God. And because he is my father, he should also be my priority. Understand that as God and as my father, he does for me and has done for me what no one else can do. No, number, okay, let's start here. Stay with me. I'm alive because he wanted me to be. (laughs) He told Jeremiah this, I knew thee, I formed thee. There is no life that is a coincidence or that that is an accident. And this is a great comfort because I understand that some people can be born out of circumstances that aren't necessarily um, good or that are pleasing to God. But there is no life that God despises or God dismisses. And God is aware of every circumstance out of which a child will be conceived and born. And he loves that life and he values that life. And that life has purpose. So let's just start with this. I would not exist physically without God. That's good. Mm. I could move and breathe and feel stuff and see stuff and do stuff and be a part of stuff and experience stuff. I get to live in Idaho because God created me and God created the state that would be called Idaho. Let's 
Amen. But not only that, God saw that I would be a sinner. He saw that I would rebel against him, and he came and he died for me. So we could keep going on that list, but just those two things, my existence and my salvation, he has done for me what I cannot do for myself. And so as my God and as my Father, he should be my priority. Now, Paul makes a statement in verse number 20, now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Concluding that, obviously this is the way that it will be one day in eternity when all is said and done and when every foe has been vanquished and when every tongue has confessed Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and when for eternity the praises of the Almighty ring out for endless days and there is no more night, there is no more day, it's unending eternity. When all of that is going on, God will receive the glory that He's due. But it should not be limited to that time. And I don't believe that Paul, nor the Spirit of God, when he, while there may be an eternal view, was limiting God receiving glory to eternity. God should be receiving glory right now because of who He is and what He's done for us. Now right now, finite men quibble over their own greatness. Who's the greatest athlete? Who's the greatest president? Who's the greatest leader? Who's the greatest at this? I want to be remembered. I want to make a name for myself. And this is what everyone quibbling over their own greatness forgets. We are but dust. Paul is reminding the believers that because of God's status and because of God's relationship with us, he should be prioritized by his people. The word glory refers to the status of an individual and the recognition that they should receive as a result of who they are and what they've done. Now it's right. The Bible talks about this. Give give honor to whom honor is due. And it's not wrong for people to receive a measure of glory, for people to receive a measure of recognition. But it's amazing in our eagerness to glorify people who are like us, very finite and limited in time and limited in ability, while we are eager to glorify and to laud and to exalt people, that the one who is far superior to all of us often can receive very little adulation, very little glory, very little recognition. Just a reminder that as God and as our Father, no one is higher. Think about the people that our culture in America seeks to glorify and put every good, and not every accomplishment is good, and just because culture says it's good doesn't make it good, but put every legitimately good accomplishment together and it pales in comparison to the accomplishments of the Almighty, to the accomplishment of the Redeemer who vanquished hell and sin and death. No one has accomplished more. No one has loved more. No, I'm thankful that we can learn to love like Him. But we can. He created us with the capacity to love. I'm not saying we'd love perfectly, but we can learn to love in a way that's like Him. But let's just be honest, no one has loved more than Him. No one has distanced Himself from the pack. 
if you've ever watched the race, when there's a runner or a car and a driver or a cyclist or a swimmer, whatever the race is, when you see a race and there's obviously a racer that is superior to the others, they'll say something like this, that runner, he or she has distanced themselves from the pack, meaning there is an obvious superiority between that runner and everyone else. No one has distanced himself from the pack more than God. He is unlike everyone and everything else. He is in a category all his own. There is no one that is worthy of receiving glory like him. Now one day he'll receive it forever as he deserves. But he should be, brothers and sisters watching, brothers and sisters here, he should be receiving glory from his people now. Now, this is where we struggle. To give God glory is more than just attaching a statement. This is what, this is what happens after someone has a success. Okay, you know I'm, I'm a professed sports junkie. I've seen this play out in sports. It plays out in other places as well. When something goes well and when there has been success, someone will make this statement, well, I just, I just want to give God glory. As though just making that statement accomplishes it. All glory to God. As though, it's, as though it's some abstract thing that we just attach whatever, that we attach to whatever we do, regardless of what we're doing, because we say it. But giving God glory is so much more than an empty statement when things go your way. Glory unto God in our life right now is not accomplished by us just attaching the statement, well, glory to God. It is accomplished and demonstrated by how you live your life. Let me give you a parental illustration. On those moments, sometimes rare moments, when you and your children are in public and they behave. Remember what that's like? Some of you have yet to experience that. (laughs) But they behave. And someone notices it. Someone notices it. And they walk up to you and they say something like this. Hey, I just, I noticed your son or your daughter or your children or your herd. And I just want to commend you on how well behaved your kids are. You know what happened right there? Your kids brought you glory. By the way that they were living their life. They made you look really good. Now this is what you know, and the older your children get, this is what your children know. You're not a perfect parent. Let's be honest, you're not perfect. But by the way they lived, they made you look good. What's the tragedy? Is that we think we can just make a statement, well praise the Lord, well glory to God, well God's good, and somehow that compensates for not living our life in a way that makes him look good. To glorify God, to bring glory to God, is more than just, to God be the glory. It is to live your life in a way that actually brings Him glory and makes Him look good before people who are observing your life. To give God glory is to live your life unto Him. Specifically, to live your life in submission to Him. Go back for a moment and consider the book of Philippians. 
Paul, as he's confronting certain things in this in chapter 4, just the things we've been dealing with about the conflict between the two sisters in the church in the beginning of chapter 4, about the propensity to worry and instead of to pray, about learning to be content and to trust God with provision, about learning to invest in the work of God. Paul wasn't making suggestions. He wasn't saying, hey, you can do this or you cannot. He was saying that this is the way, as a child of God, you ought to be living your life. We've got to get this in our minds. In a cultural, watered-down Christianity that constantly is trying to reinforce the idea that as long as you believe in Jesus, you can just do whatever you want. That is not biblical Christianity. No, there is nothing in the Bible that says you have to work for your salvation. You can't work for it. And once you've been given it, you can't lose it. Praise his name. But to glorify God means that you recognize he has authority in my life. He should be a priority. And so I'm going to live my life unto him. And the way I live my life unto him is to live it in a way that makes him look good before people. You can't give God glory while you're engaging in sinful behavior. Young people, you can't give God glory while you're disobeying and arguing with your parents. You can't give God glory while you are harboring bitterness towards their authority in your life and while you are sneaking around behind their back and hiding things on your phone and making plans with your friends hoping they don't find out. You can't give God glory with your life when you're living it that way. You can't give God glory When you're harboring bitterness and anger against someone. I'm not saying that things won't hurt for a time. I'm not saying things shouldn't be dealt with. I'm not even saying that you shouldn't be angry about certain behaviors that are harmful and destructive. But nowhere does God give us the right to harbor hatred and bitterness towards people. Especially when he has forgiven us for so much. And you can go around saying praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed redeemer. Power and glory unto the Lord belong, but you sing that with hatred in your heart. You're not bringing God glory. You can't give God glory when you resist the authority that God has placed in your life and the leadership that God puts into your life to help you and to invest in you. You can't give God glory when you live your life selfishly. And I understand there's been a time, and out of necessity, even in Scripture, there are times when You limit activity for the protection of people. But it was referenced in the missionary letter, we're never given a license to not care about and invest in others outside of ourselves. We are commanded to love. You can't give God glory when you're looking and engaging in pornography or feeding those appetites. You can't give God glory when you're pandering to your flesh You can't give God glory. You're not giving God glory when vices have control in your life. You can't give God glory when you're neglecting the life of his church. And you say, well, we, I mean, we we haven't been having church. No, we have been having church, praise the Lord. And I understand it's not the way that we wanted it to be. But I'm not arguing with, but I've reminded people when they said, well, we've canceled church. No, we haven't canceled church. We've just had to restructure it for a time. And it's been going really well because there are people that prioritize the life of this church. And you've stayed engaged and you've loved each other and you've been aware of each other. Even as you've had to take different measures of precautions, you've continued to care about one another. Can I tell you, you can't bring God glory if you're not involved in his church the way he wants us to be. You, can't, you cannot bring God glory 
if you're not caring about and trying to invest in people knowing Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, what matters more than people where they will spend eternity? No, tell me. From the word of God, what matters more than that moment when in eternity every person will answer? And it's not just the Stonaker's job. It's not just any other missionary's job. But you have contact with people and I have contact with people. And I can't possibly be bringing him all the glory he deserves if I don't care about people enough to try to invest in their salvation You can't bring God glory if you're not willing to sing his praises. You say, wait a minute, you just talked about singing his praises and not bringing him glory. Right, but that's because of bitterness in your heart. You still ought to be singing his praises, hallelujah. Hey, for those of you that were here Sunday morning and then Sunday night, it was really good again tonight, the singing of God's people and getting to hear it has been amazing. I appreciate Brother Nate and Brother Adam, but I really enjoyed getting to hear the church come together like a choir in segments. And not just solos, hallelujah. You ought to sing his praise. You can't not, you can't bring him glory. You can't bring him glory, mom and dad, when you're not training your children to obey. No, no, moms and dads, God commands you to raise your children. You're not commanded to let your children figure it out. You're commanded to raise your children. You can't bring God glory as a parent if there's not intentional, deliberate direction and instruction and correction and restraint. You can't bring God glory if you're not being the right kind of husband, the right kind of wife. No, look, I could stand up here and preach all day and people be, man, just we thank God for you, pastor. But I'm not bringing God glory the way that he deserves if I'm not loving my wife as Jesus Christ loved the church. To give God glory in this life means that you prioritize him, that you live your life in a way that demonstrates that you prioritize him. I want to ask the guys to go ahead and put that picture up for me, if you would. In 2004, the unthinkable happened. The men's basketball team lost in the semifinals to Argentina. Okay, y'all get mad at me about this if you wanted to. I'm not going to lose sleep if Argentina beats us in soccer. But never in basketball. It's invented in America for crying out loud. That's our game. Among others. And you already know my feelings about the Olympics. I don't care about every nation being happy. I care about our nation being happy. Anyway, 2004, NBA players, and I can name some of them to you, went to the Olympics, and there was just kind of this air. You remember the dream team in 1992, Barcelona, then 92, 96, 2000. We had reclaimed our place of dominance in the basketball world internationally, and there was just this assumption in 2004, yeah, we're going to go in and we're going to win it, and we got beat, settled for bronze. We weren't even the first loser. We were the second loser. Man, it was terrible. Obviously caused me a lot of devastation personally. 
In 2008, leading up to 2008, there was an emphasis on gaining back that position of number one. And the team was, the, in, in reference to the dream team of 92, the team was given the nickname, the Redeem Team. We are going to gain back what we have lost. Coach Mike Krzyzewski, or as he's known as Coach K, of a college team, University of Duke, Duke University, he led the coaching staff, and they went on to win the gold medal in a compelling championship game in a dominant fashion throughout the Olympics. If you'll notice in the picture that you see, Coach K had, his, had all these gold medals hanging around his neck. I didn't know this until I was watching that game and heard it referenced that during the Olympics in team sports, coaches don't receive medals. And so after the players had stood on the top position of the platform and received their medals, they all brought Coach K up. And then subsequently after that, all the other assistant coaches, and one by one, they took their medals off and they hung it around Coach K's neck. And this is what they were doing. We want recognition to be given to the one who helped us be in this position. I'm not trying to elevate improperly something like this, nor am I trying to demean the majesty and glory of God. But can you get the illustration? Sometimes I feel like as a child of God, I settle for hanging bronze medals around my Savior's neck. Sometimes I feel like in the way I live my life, I settle for silver and bronze in my attitude. In the way that I care about the lost. In the way that I forgive. In the way that I'm disciplined in my time with the Lord. Sometimes I feel like I go to God and I say, look, it's a bronze medal, but, you know, I tell you, God deserves to be the priority in our life. It doesn't mean we walk around like monks. But Colossians tells us this. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily to the Lord. You know what that means? When I respond to my wife the way I ought to, I can give God glory. When I love my children the way I ought to, I can give God glory. When I am trying and striving to be the kind of pastor I should be, I am giving God glory. When I work to be the kind of neighbor I should be, I give God glory. When I humble myself and admit when I'm wrong and seek forgiveness and restoration, I give God glory. When I admit to God that I've been bitter or resentful, I am giving God glory. I wonder tonight, does your life hang gold medals around the neck of your Savior? I'm not talking about perfection. But does your life, please get this, does your life make him look good? Or are you content to settle for something less in what you say about your Savior? Here's the statement, because of who he is and what he does, you should live your life in a way that glorifies him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, sitting there at home, here in the sanctuary, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder if there would be in your life an area that you admit, say there is 
there is an area where I settle for not bringing God glory. Now, we all know the statements. We come out with the terminology. Yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah, hallelujah. We, are, we know the vernacular. But does your life, does your life make him, make it obvious that you desire to glorify him? Are you living your life to hang gold medals, to put that before him, to live your best? Are you that kind of a parent? I'm not, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about an effort to live your life unto him as an employee, as a spouse, as a student, giving glory unto him. It'll be his one day anyway, but it ought to be his now. Father, help us to respond to you. You dealt with us, God, and help us to be honest with you and with ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with me? And if God has dealt with your heart while Brother Adam sings, you have an opportunity to pray. So right there in your seat, come to this altar and to ask the Lord to help you, not just to give him glory one day, but to live for his glory right now while we sing.